Good morning. This morning, our sermon text is Psalm 51, and you can find it in your hymnal, I'm sorry, in the Bible in front of you, on your Bible app, on your phone as well, if you want to follow along. The words will be up on the screen in just a moment, or should I say 22 minutes? Am I being timed? Um, We're going to sing Create in Me, which is based on this psalm, Psalm 51, the Psalm of David. I'm going to read it in its entirety to begin, and then uh, just a couple of meditative thoughts, and then we'll sing this, this uh, psalm together. Psalm 51, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You, are, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. For young parents, maybe even, for, well, for first-time parents, especially first-time mothers, uh, there's a book out there for you that is a bestseller on the New York Times perennial bestseller list. Um, the USA Today has named it the top 25 most influential books over the last 25 years. It's sold and copied over 14.5 million times. Do you know, moms, what book I'm talking about? What what to expect when you're expecting. I heard it. Good job. You got it. Who out there has had that book or maybe still has had that book, still trying to give it away at a baby shower maybe? Maybe we can, we can definitely have that. those here. We have plenty of little ones and, and new mothers you can give those books to. The book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, is a helpful resource for young families, first-time parents, to, expect, to know what to expect when going through pregnancy, the pitfalls and the blessings uh, how to handle all of these different situations. 
Um, there's even a movie, I think, back in 2012 that I saw. Maybe you did too. You don't have to admit it. It was called What to Expect When You're Expecting, and it was followed the life of five families that were going through the first-time pregnancy, including um, it starred Chris Rock, actually, the funniest part of the movie. He was a stay-at-home dad, of all things, who gave parenting advice to other fathers, including giving advice about the dad code. Do you know what the dad code is, dads? <clears throat> the dad code is... Whatever happens when dad's in charge, even if you almost kill your kids, stays with dad. All right. For first-time parents, a resource like that movie or a resource like that book is a helpful thing. For sinners who have sin and want to know what to do with it, there's a resource for you as well because the word repentance, the word forgiveness, the word confess your sins, these are words in the secular world today especially that we wonder about how do you confess, what is repentance, and what happens when you do it. And so today we have that resource because Psalm 51 is, I'm going to say, the bestseller of all of the confessions in the Bible. It goes through a beautiful confession of David Not beautiful in the fact that uh, what he did was beautiful, but beautiful in the fact in the way that he expressed the way that God handles our sin. And so if you want to know, and we all are sinners, about how to repent and confess sins, this is the resource. So this morning the theme is what to expect when repenting, okay? What to expect when repenting. And there's really three chapters to this book that we read through in Psalm 51, The first chapter is this, what to expect when repenting, expect to confront personal sin. Look at what, uh, well, first of all, you see the title of the psalm itself. It says that this is a psalm that was written after David had sinned and Nathan had approached him about his sin. Um, If you don't know the the history about what David did, he simply uh, committed murder and adultery and tried to cover it up in a very egregious, terrible, uh, icky way, but you would never have known it because it was almost like a second life that he was living and his whole nation, maybe even his family, didn't know what was going on. He took a a woman from a man that was Uriah, the, the soldier, one of his commanders, one of his mighty men, perhaps even a mighty man who had protected him previously when he was, when David was fleeing from Saul. He took this man's wife while this man was out fighting battles, and he slept with her. And what came of it was that she became pregnant, and David thought, "Uh uh-oh, well, he was away, and this isn't going to add up when this baby was born that he was sleeping with his wife. So he had the soldier, Uriah, come home. He got him drunk. He tried to use sin to cover up sin so that Uriah would go home and sleep with his wife, but he didn't because Uriah was too faithful. He knew that his men were out fighting and couldn't enjoy the embrace of their wives, so he wouldn't do it. Uriah went back out to battle, and David covered up more sin with more sin. He put out a command that Uriah be killed in battle, that, the, that they go into the fiercest fighting and then pull back, and Uriah would be struck down, and sure enough, that's what happened. David now has committed adultery. He's broken up a family, and he's committed murder. And now he goes on, and after the murder, in, in that day and age when When it was good to take care of widows, he might have even taken Bathsheba as his own wife. And in the eyes of the world, it seemed like a good thing because he was caring for this poor widow. 
But you know, in the eyes of God, God had seen everything that he had done. Up to that point, his unconfessed sin would have remained unconfessed if God would not have put a very faithful pastor and prophet into his life named Nathan. God sent Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan told David this story. He said, King, there's this case. Of course, the kings back then were the courts, too. He says, there's this case, and um, what happened was that there's this very poor family in your kingdom, and this poor family uh, had a ewe lamb, a little lamb, and this lamb was cared for, and it was like the pet of the family. And the kids loved it, and and, and the dad loved it. And then the neighbor, who was a very rich man, he... He had a guest that was coming into town, and he wanted to put on a feast for this guest. But instead of going out to the market and buying his own food and his own lamb, the rich man went to the poor man's house and snatched that little lamb away from the family, brought it to his kitchen, slaughtered it, and served it to his guests. And David was outraged. He got up out of his seat, and he said, Where is this man? Bring him in right now. He's going to pay four times over for what he had done And Nathan said, you are the man. David was the one who came face to face in that moment with his personal sin. And it wasn't comfortable. And it wasn't meant to be comfortable. Because he had a good friend and a good God that allowed his sin to be exposed in a very real way. And if he would have gone the rest of his life without having sin exposed, who's to say what would have happened to him eternally? He would have been dead. Nathan told him this story, and David said, I have sinned against God, he said. And Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. You will not die. And out of that moment, with his being confronted with personal sin, comes these words. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. My friends, if you have a healthy conscience, and I pray that you do, and you break God's command, that is, that you have put yourself into a situation where you have sinned against God and you know what he wants you to do but you don't do it it should be like a little break in your soul and in your inside it should give you the feeling like David had when confronted with sin that that you violated this eternal contract and you have because God says love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself but when but when you break that and your conscience is working you should be confronted with your sin right away and if not Pray that God gives you friends and a church that can teach you and expose the personal sin within because that's where God wants to do his work. To give you a Nathan in your life. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. In verse 4, we have two truths when addressing personal guilt. And the first truth is this. Personal sin is personal to God. Because sometimes I might say to myself, well, this isn't going to hurt anybody if I just go out and I do this. And I know that God says you shouldn't do it, but really it's not going to affect anybody at all. Well, guess what? It does affect somebody, and it's personal because it's breaking what God has said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when David takes somebody as his girlfriend... 
for a one-night stand. He might think this isn't hurting anybody because, well, her husband is out at battle, right? Nobody's going to find out about it. But even the moment that he laid eyes on her and lusted, Jesus says, that is breaking the eternal contract right there between you and a holy God that says that's not true love. That's sin. That's the first tip. Sin is personal, and it's personal not just to us, but it's personal to God. And the second is this. You you see it right here. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Personal sin is also personally damning. David's saying here, it's on me. Um, God, I stand in your courtroom, and I stand spiritually naked in front of you, and you see every sin. There's nothing I can hide from you. And the court case that's built against me, because of my personal sin, the world doesn't see it, but you do. I deserve nothing but death. I deserve nothing but separation from you. And I can't say that you're wrong if you were to condemn me, because God would be right. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in the New Testament. Do you see what it means to confront personal sin? It's not comfortable, but it's true. And if you're one that loves truth and fairness and justice, well, you have a God that is all of that. And a God that has seen all the way to your heart, just like he saw to David. Surely, verse 5, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Has anybody in here seen the Truman Show before? It was one of my favorite movies growing up. I was just intrigued by the idea of it. But Truman Burbank lived his whole life with cameras on him from the time that he was born. He grew up, and he went to work, and he went to school, and he went to, you know, he, he got married, he, he did all of this, and what he didn't know, and you find out as you're going through the movie, is that his whole life was being watched by the whole world all the time, 24-7. From the moment that he got up and made his coffee to the moment that he went and put his head back on the pillow, he was being seen. And eventually he found out that he was being seen, and he escaped. Did you know that that's the sort of life that you and I have? We have an eye on us all the time, and that, that's our God. He sees everything, and he sees it all the way from the time that we were conceived, all the time that we were born. And David says, listen, look at the depth of confronting my sin. It's not just my present sin, but my whole existence from the time that I was born. God sees, and he calls a strike a strike. We're born into sin, and David's admitting that right here, that, that we have sin, and it's something that we inherit from our parents, and it's something that we, that, that we can't escape on our own. So do you see what happens when we confront our sin? We find ourselves at a dead end. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. There's even sin in our birth. And look at, and that's, that's chapter one. Expect to confront personal sin. Chapter two is this. Expect God to make you whole. Last Friday... Yeah, last Friday, Hannah told me, Dan, you need a haircut. And you would have thought the way she said it, my hair was down to my shoulders. Well, it felt that way. It was getting long, and it was time for a haircut. So Saturday morning, I called my barber, and I said, is my barber in? And he said, yeah, they're in today, the attendant. Uh, In today, um, but he's all booked up until 3. Okay, I'll come after 3. And so I wait until the afternoon. I had an appointment at 5. I had to get my haircut in at 3, go in at 3. And I walk in, and the attendant says, you, I said, I'm here for so-and-so, my barber, and is he, is he free to give a haircut? He, the, the attendant said, I'm sorry, it's an hour and a half wait from right now. 
I said, no way, I got to be somewhere like at five o'clock. And so I'll make an appointment for Tuesday. That was the next time that he was, had an open schedule. So I, um, I waited Monday, Tuesday. By this time, my hair was down to my knees, probably. And uh, I, I, I go into my appointment in the morning. And as I'm driving to my appointment, there were some things that were out of my control that made me delayed, a.k.a. I-35, and other things. And as I was pulling off, I was already two minutes late to my appointment, and I got a phone call up on my uh, dash. Of course, it's the barbershop. It's the attendant. I hit speakerphone, and of course, he says, Sir, are you coming in for your haircut today? I look at my watch. I said, I'm two minutes late. Of course I'm coming in. I'm getting off the highway right now. And he said very politely, he said, well, if you're not here within the next five minutes, you're going to lose your appointment. We're going to go right to the next people because there's a waiting list right now. And in that moment, I think God was testing my, uh, <coughs> my faith and testing uh, something that I struggle with, which was my patience. And I said some words that were less patient than they should be for a Christian, and they were a little bit more opinionated and sarcastic towards this poor attendant who was just doing what he was told to do because there's a policy in place. I told him that his policy didn't make sense with my faithfulness to this barbershop over the years, and, well, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to let you know everything that I said. I do have to preach to you the gospel of God's word, and I depend on that same gospel in my life as well. I pulled into the barber shop, ran in, and within one minute, I got into my barber's chair underneath the seven minutes that is allowed. The attendant came over, and he helped clean up the hair. He was the friendliest attendant to the barber and to all the customers. And as I sat in that chair, thinking about the way that I had talked to him, unjustified, the feeling of guilt sets in as he showered everybody around him in that place with grace, including me. And I knew I'd have to go back up to that counter and pay the bill and give him my credit card. And I thought to myself, I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. He didn't do anything wrong. It was me. And as I got out of the chair, very politely, he took my credit card. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you that way on the phone. There were some things out of my control, but that doesn't give me any excuse. And he smiled and very politely said, that's okay. I grew up with seven children. I don't know what that meant, but I think that he was giving me his best forgiveness that he could give me in that moment. He was patient with this little child. When we find and we're confronted with sin... We shouldn't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. David never had a chance to say sorry to Uriah, did he? No. But you and I have this opportunity. If I would have ever, if if that attendant would have gone on break when I was getting my haircut, I never could have asked for forgiveness, and he never came back, I never could have called him up, that we have a Supreme Court that we can go to. That we have a God that says, I have seen every moment of your life. Not just those moments that you remember, but the moments that you don't even remember. And you can say, God, listen, I don't like that brokenness part of me. I don't like the way that I have talked to other people. I don't like the way that I've treated other people because you've told me not to do that. I'm going to rely on your grace. And God comes back to David through the prophet Nathan, and he says, your sins are forgiven. You will not die. And this is the reason why David had hope in a God 
that washes the slate clean by grace. Listen to this. Verse 6. You, God, desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And the Hebrew here is, yes, could be referring to that verse before about that, that sinfulness in the womb that you're born with. But David is saying, God, you're pure. God, you're Your knowledge of me goes all the way into my inward parts. You know the secret sins. You knew knew when I committed adultery and nobody else knew in the world. You knew about that sin, but you had a desire to make me pure in that same deep, dark place. In fact, you could argue that God's desire to make you clean is much more pure and deep than your own desire. And David puts his hope on a God that watches his entire life inside and out and says, God, make me clean in the deepest, darkest places, and God had. That's why in 1 John 1, 7 it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What Jesus Christ, your Savior, and David's great-great-great-great-grandson did for him was to take that guilt, that dirtiness, that sin that stained David, and he lived the perfect life, died on the cross to give David, you and me, the forgiveness that we need. So that when we come to him and we're sitting in the barber chair and that guilt is, is, is sinking in us that, ooh, I haven't treated right, and we go to the cash register and he says this, it's not just okay, it's forgiven, paid in full, for free. Beautiful? That's why David says these beautiful words that he does. It's like... Well, when I think about clean me like hyssop and I will be clean, I think about the feeling that Saturday nights were growing up. You see, Sunday, Saturday mornings was cleaning day in the house, and part of the kids' jobs um, as we became older was to wash the kitchen floor, right? We were the ones spilling ketchup on it all week. We were the ones spilling rice on it all week. And so part of our job was to move all the chairs out, and my mom is a meticulous cleaner. She move all the chairs out, move the table out, get everything out of there so that we could wash down the entire floor, starting by sweeping, dry mopping, and then washing, and then drying the floor, because drying also helps clean the floor. And it was a lot of work. But at the end of it, when we went out Saturday afternoon and came back Saturday night, the whole house smelled like pine sole. And I just love that smell. That's a great smell to come home to, isn't it? A clean smell in the house. Can you imagine that, except you didn't do any of the work in your own soul, in your own life. When you believe in Jesus and you put your faith in him, when you put your faith in the Savior God that David did, it's not that you've lived and behaved the way that he's asked you to, but it's that he's come in and he's cleaned you pure as hyssop and white as snow. That's the way that he, you smell to him. And that's the way that, he, that you smell when you have faith in him to yourself. And that's going to that's gonna create in you a new life, which is the final chapter. Chapter 3, expect a life full of worship. Listen to these words, and this is just a sampling of some of the worship that he has in this psalm. But open my lips, Lord, 
and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. What's God's favorite sacrifice from you? Is it, David, that you defended your little flock as you were a boy against the bear and against the lion, and you did it with courage, and you stood up to that giant with an iron spine because you knew that God was on your side? Is that your best sacrifice to God, David? David, is the sacrifice that God desired, was it defeating all of the Philistines and all of the people that would have taken God's people and killed them and taken away salvation history? Is it defending, is it defending God's name among all of the, 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 the enemies of God that you did? Is it taking over the city of Jabus and making it into the city of David and, and paving the ground for a temple for God to be built? Is that your best sacrifice, David? Is it bringing many bulls and and animals to be sacrificed and to have the most sacrifices out of everybody else around you? Is that your best sacrifice, David? Is your best sacrifice being at church every single Sunday, unlike other people? Is your best sacrifice being a father who is faithful a mother who is loving, is your best sacrifice to God a pure, well-behaved life? David says, the sacrifice that you desire, God, is to take my brokenness and make it whole. I can't fix the things that you can fix, God. And so, instead of giving you all of my behavior, I'm going to give you all of my sin. And God says, it's right then and there that I can start to work. Because I can make your whole self again. And out of that comes a life of worship. Out of that comes a courageous father and a faithful husband. Out of that forgiveness and grace comes a loving mother, grandmother, grandfather, Out of that comes a dedicated friend to other friends. I uh, my first car was a '92 white Oldsmobile Sierra with red velvet interior. I even dated my college girlfriend in that car, and she didn't break up with me. She even married me. After that car, I had this opportunity when my Great aunt passed away. She never had a husband. Uh, She was a very successful college teacher, and she saved a lot of money. She distributed a lot of money to the families that she she loved. Her name was Dorothy. And I used the money from Dorothy to buy my very first car that was just gently used. It's the Camry that I still drive today, and it is... Ruby red on the outside. And do you know what I named it? Dorothy. And so if you ever talk to me about my Dorothy, that's something personal right there. That's my Dorothy out in the parking lot. Do you know why I named it Dorothy? It's not because of anything that I did. It's everything that was gifted to me. And when David talks about, and when we talk about our blessings in our life, it's not that we have put our name on it, but we put God's name on it because he's the one that has given us everything in Christ Jesus, our Savior. 
It's his name that goes when we, when we have um, events like yesterday and we serve the community and we give away backpacks. It's not just we did this. It's who did this? God did this. Because he gives us the hope that we have. It gives you the hope that you have when you are struggling through parenting with young children, when you're, str- when you're struggling through a marriage that's on the rocks, when you're struggling through addiction that has affected your family. It gives you the hope to stand like David with a spine like iron, to say, I'm broken by myself, but you have let me face the giant, and I have my eternal hope in you, O God. And that's the message that God has for us this morning, to have his praise on our lips, to have a life of worship, 